Coming up this week, off screen. Mary Poppins returns. Yorgos Lantimos plays favorites. Bumblebee reboots the Transformers. We go back to 1985. There's a whole lot of suffering with life itself. Papillon embarks on another impossible escape. We receive an impossible love. And give it up for the notorious RBG. All those to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm back. Got up. I'm Kelly Needham. Last one of the year, Ms. Needham. One Woo! six five. <laughs> That's the number of episodes we tap out on for 2018. Oh right. Um, I thought it was just some joke well, that I didn't get. We are going to have uh, the the top ten of the year show. Like Case and I are going to do that for oh, sometime I see. before New Year's. Bringing so. Case back, eh? He's coming back out of the cave now, you see. The child <laughs> is up, walking around, talking. I yeah. doubt that very much. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how slow they are to, to get all that. It really is. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so big stuff to come this week. We've got a total of eight reviews this week. Good great. And some are really good. Ooh. And some are really bad. But, we can't uh, fit all of them in this show. Well, no, but it's funny you bring that up because we do have the mega sexy extra ever expanded podcast edition into which we can cram all of the extra news and reviews that we don't get to cover in the radio edit. So where can you find those, Ms. Needham? Uh, Spotify, Acast, Deezer, iTunes. Is it still called that? I think it's Apple Podcasts. No, they're trying to phase it away. But Basically, yeah. your podcast platform of preference. I had to say that a lot slower <laughs> than you do. <laughs> to try and just remember, how does he do this? He usually podcast spits across the room. And yeah, he does exactly. Yeah. Usually yeah. I get a face full. Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> any podcast platform you like, just go on there off screen. Uh, full expanded. It's usually about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, we try and not talk as long so. as we used to. <laughs> we try, we try. But uh, okay, so uh, we need some news to kick us off this week what you got? a bit of a sad one. Oh yes penny marshall has unfortunately passed away we think a complication with diabetes that's really sad i was such I a know. fan of penny marshall do you know the weird thing right she's like to the world she's from laverne and shirley yeah but like i never really knew her as the woman from laverne and shirley i only ever knew her as kind of the the hollywood director yeah, um, but I think your view on the world's a bit different than other people's. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Laverne and Shirley. Well, no, me neither, to be fair. And she seemed to turn up in acting roles in a lot of things. Was she in, in like, last... Bones at one yeah, point? Always Simpsons. playing, like, a version of herself as yeah. well. Like, just... She's Penny Marshall. She doesn't need to play anyone else. She's just yeah. turning up to be Penny Marshall. And she's in Entourage and, and Simpsons Bones, she was in, as you pointed out. Um, just loads of stuff. Um, I didn't realise as well, Laverne and Shirley was one of the apparently 19 shows that are all Happy Days spin-offs. No, I didn't know that either. It's insane, though. It's like Happy Days spun into, is it Joey Loves Chachi, Mork and Mindy and... There's, there's like a long others. list of shows they tried to make out of Happy Days. Exactly. But, uh, no, so uh, Penny Marshall, director of Jumping Jack Flash. and did She didn't do You've Got Mail, did she? That was Nora Ephron. Yeah. She did. Oh, A League of Their Own, obviously. Oh, Biggie. But uh, yeah, sad to see her go. Very sad. Very sad. And I don't want to move on now because the, the first film we've got to talk about is pretty good. 
So it seems to go from that to something happy. Seems I'm like a segue. I'm trying to think of a good segue. No, we've got no segue. Okay, let's just talk. What are we doing first? We're doing the favourite. The favourite, and I've been dreading this one. I know you have. This film has haunted me for months. Would you like to explain to the audience why? My Twitter handle is at the favourite and has been for about ten years now. Yeah. And ever since this film came out or the buzz started, whatever, I again tweeted like crazy. Because theirs is the underscore favourite something like that that one for the film but most people they tag the underscore favourite and they tag me as well maybe that's just to cover their bases stop tagging me (laughs) I remember when because you didn't know at first did you You it was like like, the night of the premiere at Cannes yes exactly you you just bombarded me what the hell is the favourite and why is everyone (laughs) tweeting me about it well we have the film now Um, at least I hear it's good from you it is good it is oh, good. Man. I had heard in advance that it was it was excellent, that it was the one to beat this year, that uh, uh, Olivia Coleman was a shoo-in for the Oscar for it. She's now, brilliant. Now, that's been sort of on the way up for a while. Like, we seem to be slowly coming around to the acceptance that Olivia Coleman is a great actress and should be respected thusly. Mm. Um, meet the chief example as to why. <laughs> so this is the latest film to be uh, written and directed by Yorgos Lantimos, who brought us uh, The Lobster and uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. That was quite recent as well, no, Colin Farrell. Um, right, so this one is uh, it's based on a, a novel, I believe. It is set in 18th century uh, England. It mm-hmm. is set in the court of Queen Anne, who is played by uh, Olivia Colman. She is uh, in the later years of her life, so she started to uh, succumb to a number of physical ailments, a number of mental impairments mm-hmm. as well. She had a friendship with uh, Sarah Jennings, who is the, the lady of, I forget where now, who's played here by Rachel Weiss. And she seems to work as the sort of de facto stand-in for the Queen. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the Queen's best friend, is, is how she's, she's treated in the court. Right. And the idea is, because the Queen's so ill all the time and indisposed, Rachel Weiss has to go and act as her proxy. You know, go to court and do all the courtly decisions, but she's doing it with the complete authority of the Queen. Right. Right. One day, uh, Sarah's cousin, who's sort of a disgraced lady, turns up at court and uh, is given a chance by Rachel Weiss uh, to work as staff, effectively, in, in uh, in the castle. Castle? Home? Stately? Palace? Man, pan- palace. Okay, I'm sure it's a palace. <laughs> there we are. Um, the Wait, idea- so she commits a crime? She goes no, to No, 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 she's not, she commits a crime. Her husband dies. Uh, she's destitute. She just turns and, up. Yeah, she Got just it. turns up. She comes I to- thought you meant her, like, punishment was... Oh, you no, no, when I say work court... In the palace. Yeah, I mean, when I say court, I'm talking about, like, you turn up to the uh, Queen's court. I see. Yes, the Queen is in court. Oh, got it, got the it, court it. of Queen Anne. Not like, you know, guilty court. <laughs> Not like that court, no. Uh, so, the idea is uh, Emma, Emma Stone is the oh. uh, the young, uh, disgraced former lady who's now the household staff. Yep. She begins to, in subtle, bitchy little ways, prove herself to the Queen. She comes up with a suggestion here and a wink, wink, mm. and a nudge, nudge idea there. And before you know it, Rachel Weiss is now at war with her own cousin for the affections of, and effectively the ability to run the United, Queen, the United Kingdom by power of the Queen. I love how you nearly said United Queendom. I know, and then I thought, <laughs> the IT crowd... <laughs> It is the IT crowd, isn't it? Yeah. It's gay a gay musical in the IT crowd. Yeah. With that woman off the telly. 
<laughs> so, um, just to give you an idea, this clip is of Rachel Weisz and Olivia Coleman. It is Olivia Coleman basically demonstrating where her marbles are at in that moment, which is to say, rather scattered about, and she's wearing a rather hideously designed bit of makeup. Here's a clip. Well, what do you think you look like? Badger. Do you really think you can meet the Russian delegation looking like that? No. I will manage it. Go back to your rooms. Thank you. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me. Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! I love her own this. You see how it just goes from just stone, stark silence to just this manic outburst. Chaos. Absolutely. And, I th- and it I'm, made me jump. It did. It just it just comes out of the blue. It's just a staffer. It's just a, like a little page who's just stood there in the corner of the room manning his station. Aww. And she just picks on him. And it's very much a film like that. It's funny. It is really funny, but mm-hmm. it's funny for the most sadistic kind of bitchy ways imaginable. Like, mm. imagine 18th century period piece Mean Girls. Ooh, I love it. Right. You will love this. It's it's not a film that really particularly goes anywhere grand. Like, if you know your history, for instance, you know kind of how this played out. But uh, the performances in it really lean into this this bonkers, almost death of Stalin, like, you know, uh, Armando, I need you. bit like that, in that way that Jason Isaacs would turn up with his broad Yorkshire, well, you look at the look on his face, <laughs> moments like that. It is one of those. It is really, really fun re- in, in a way you wouldn't expect because it's beautifully shot as well, gorgeous to look at. Does have one rather glaring flaw, though. Oh, it's not Emma Stone, is it? It's and not. It's not. She's, she's very good. The accent <laughs> is fine. Uh, Rachel Weiss, I, I, I tremendous in this as well. I mean, what a year for her! This and disobedience, yeah. like more or less back to back in the UK. Yeah. And uh, Olivia Coleman, who's got the showy part, but I still think actually Rachel Weiss gets the best role in this. But Olivia Coleman gets the you know the grand big shouty role. Mm. The big flaw, though, is uh, Yorgos Lantimos uses or he's made the decision to utilize like a fisheye lens oh. for certain shots to kind of open up the canvas and kind of disorient and for me i thought it was a gimmick too far like mm. the film looks incredible and then occasionally these slots one of these fisheye lens shots in like wide 16 16 millimeter lens and this it, is it, more distracting it, it than, is it's it's yeah. it's an obstacle rather than any kind of an immersive technique or, oh. or any kind of any kind of hook really as a gimmick it seems to have backfired for me but uh, and it's a shame because otherwise it's a brilliant film and i can imagine a lot of people not seeing this because of the premise yeah I mean, just go and see 18th century Mean Girls. Yeah. Really. It's Should have put that on the poster. They should have. Go and see 18th century Mean Girls. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Ms. Needham. So, uh, where to next? 1985. Oh, do you know, because of this, I've had the the Bowling for Soup song, 1985. Me too. 
<laughs> Springsteen, Madonna, <laughs> way before anybody. 19, uh, 19, 1985. I love that band. I miss <laughs> oh, them, I do. Anyway, oh, so um, far, far, far removed from you know the whimsy of Bowling for Soup mm-hmm. is uh, Yen Tan's uh, 1985, mm-hmm. which is shot on film on specific Kodak film. Right. It is shot in 4 by 3 ratio and Ooh. in black and white. Oh, no. And uh, it stars, I believe, is it Corey Michael Smith, I think his name is. Um, and he is, uh, you might know him, actually. Do you, uh-huh. Have you ever seen Gotham? Oh, only, like, briefly. Right. The guy who's the coroner who's also the Riddler. No. You know, okay, so the idea in Gotham is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway, beside the point. Uh, he's terrible in that, and uh, he's not terrible in this, no. so go figure. Also very good in this, Jamie Chung, who also stars in a Fox Network uh, comic book series. She stars in the uh, X-Men one, The Gifted. Oh, so, yeah, so. Right, so it's the story of a... Um, a man in his 20s who returns home for Christmas. Uh, he has uh, been living in New York. He's, mm-hmm. he's left home, first chance he's gotten. He's gone out to uh, make his name in advertising on Madison Avenue. And uh, uh, he's come home for Christmas to, I think it's Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, he has never, he's never actually gotten around to having the talk with his very Republican, very Bible-thumping parents about his sexuality mm-hmm. and he has left this um to the stage where he's had a year in which his partner has died uh, during the height of the aids epidemic oh. and he himself has recently been diagnosed and as because of the way things were at the time because of how little we sort of knew in 1985 about the aids pandemic and back when it was considered the gay plague yeah. of sorts um he basically has surmised that this will be his last christmas so he returns home for the first time in years to essentially make peace with his parents but also to uh, just get to know them in, in a way uh, along the way he encounters his ex-girlfriend uh, Jamie Chung who he's, he's lost touch with for obvious reasons when he's when he's vacated to New York and uh, yeah we have a clip of uh, his gifting a Christmas present to his younger brother a younger brother who has recently given up sports and taken up performing arts leading to a very specific conversation going on in the house mm-hmm. um, and he's given him a brand new Walkman here's a clip <laughs> Just open it, buddy. So, okay, so this one actually records, and it's a little bit smaller, so it should be easier to carry around. And it has Dolby. You're the best. Now, you did not need to get him a new one. His old one worked just fine. Do you remember having a Walkman that could record? Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I thought this was tremendous. It's 85 minutes long, mm-hmm. um, so it's not. An, it, it feels like you, you're kind of just just when you've had just your peak amount of setup, you then get to the resolution and it. Sh- it these things tend to rush through that. This actually mm. does make its point rather well. Uh, it makes it gets in, makes its point, ends. And I thought it was beautiful at times. I thought it was really moving. I thought the performances are great. I particularly like, as his parents, Michael Chiklis and Virginia nice. Madsen. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and uh, Michael Chiklis has become um, a, a paunchy middle-aged man now. Who knew? Well, everyone I mean, saw that coming. Come I on. mean, The Shield was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I thought Corey Michael Smith's performance... It is Corey Michael Smith, isn't it? I, I have no right. idea. 
Corey Michael Smith. Thank God for that. Yeah, Corey Michael Smith. I thought his performance was tremendous. I thought he was really, really good in this. I came away from this thinking, what the hell has he been doing on Gotham for five years? Because he really needs to be playing in a yeah, deeper part. I dip back into that show every now and again just to see if it's gotten any better, and no, it never has. <laughs> But uh, can't polish a turd. <laughs> you really can't with that one. Uh, but Jamie Chung as well. In fact, there's a moment in this in which Jamie Chung does a stand-up routine, uh-huh. and it's about her ethnicity in mid-eighties America because she plays. I think she plays Korean, and um, it's just a brilliantly delivered bit. You sit there and think, I wonder if she actually would have chops in more broad comedies because depends if she wrote it or not. I suppose. Well, no, and just in terms of her delivery, obviously it's someone else's script, but the way she delivers it is so naturalistic that you think, okay, I actually believe you could do comedy. I mean, she's in one of the Hangover movies, isn't she? Isn't she uh, Ed Helms' wife? Oh, is she? Yeah. I yeah, because that was believable. I've honestly blocked out them films. <laughs> Didn't we see the second one together? We did, and I was outraged <sighs> at the end of it. So bad. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Which do you hate me for uh, more than I took you to see that or The Expendables? Ooh, uh, oh, mm, hangover. <laughs> okay, should we do a quick bit of film news before quick we uh, get this? What you got for me? Anything that you want to talk um, about? Uh, disappointment, basically. Okay. The um, publicity shots have uh, become available of Will Smith as Oh, I knew you were going to point this oh, out. They only came out no. about 20 minutes ago. I know, but I saw them and I'm disappointed. I mean, it's fine. He looks like Will Smith. Uh, if he was a genie. Yeah. But he ain't blue. Well, why is he not blue? That's kind of a biggie, isn't it, for me? Yeah, why is he not? He's wearing a blue outfit, I'll give him that, but he's not blue. <laughs> You're supposed to be blue, Will. Well, do you know, I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there that Naomi Scott, in my humble opinion, is not uh, drop-dead stunning enough to be uh, uh, Princess Jasmine, if those pictures are anything to go by. She's a 10 out of 10 bona fide hottie, but uh, she ain't no Princess Jasmine. So, mm. yeah. Who could be? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so <laughs> what have we got to talk about next? Is it something uh, that's completely Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Okay. Go on, shock me. So we just talked about 1985. Yep. We now have a movie that I think takes place in 87, I think. Is All it, right. It's either 86 or 87. Right. So it, it was an unspoken reboot. This is how we were getting sold this. It was mm-hmm. an unspoken reboot. They were going to tweak a few things. It's now here... It's a reboot. It is a end-to-end, top-and-tail reboot of the Transformers series. You can have seen none of these and then see this, and it starts the franchise new. Okay. Okay. Has it erased some stuff? <laughs> it uh, very specifically, deliberately contradicts some stuff in oh. a way that you have to believe was on purpose. All right. So, uh, this opens with uh, the final battle for Cybertron. You know, the Transformers homeworld. Yes. Um, the, the final battle of that, it's uh, obviously all computer animated because, you know, we can't really stage these things practically. So, at first, it looks like a PS4 cutscene, like these things always do. Yeah. And uh, during the final battle, the Autobots, who are our heroes and are effectively the, the rebels in the conflict Uh um they are faced with sort of their dying hour optimus prime picks his loyal plucky young junior like almost teenage lieutenant bumblebee who's voiced by dylan o'brien at this stage from uh, maze runner he can speak oh yeah bumblebee can speak i'll get to that i'll get to that right so bumblebee young plucky lieutenant is told by optimus prime go to earth and uh, set up like a base for our for our people that we can reunite. We'll reunite there. We'll rebuild the army and we'll come back. Uh-huh. He sets out to do exactly this. He's been on Earth for about two minutes before he is actually discovered by a Decepticon. 
basically having failed his mission because the whole thing was don't get Bumble your husband by. Yeah. Um, Starscream, I think it is, or someone who looks Lionel like Starscream. Uh, fighter Jet just creeps up on him, stabs him through the throat and takes out his voice box. Ah. Uh. Uh, but not before he can then, but, you know, before he can get away and uh, stage an escape, track down what looks like an old VW Beetle, scan it, turn himself into it so he can hide and he is then taken in by a 17-year-old girl named Charlie, an aspiring mechanic who's played by Haley Steinfeld, and she obviously discovers what he is, and what you have is effectively E.T. E.T. with Bumblebee of Transformers fame. And the whole origin story element of this really is how did Bumblebee get the radio and learn how to do the talky through clips thing? But, uh, okay, so going with the E.T. Amblin Spielberg idea, here is a clip of... Haley Steinfeld her and her love interest driving Bumblebee and being stopped by the military who are led by John Cena. Here's a clip. Get out and move away from the vehicle. Stay cool, B. What's going on? Hey! Come on, come on! Stop it! Now, take it down. Run! No, don't run. Do not run. She ran. So there's a heavy emphasis on fun. Yeah, very, like very. And you can hear that. I in mean, the clip. John Cena. If you're going to hire yeah. John Cena, come on. Well, here's the thing as well. I was sat watching this and I thought, isn't it funny how whenever two Transformers fight in any one of these movies, including this one, um, it always winds up working kind of like either a WWE match or a UFC fight. Like the mm. moves are like wrestling moves and UFC moves. Yeah, I guess. So then it almost makes a logical sense that you'd have to eventually just go and get John Cena. <laughs> to I usually that. find in any of the fighting sequels in a Transformers mm. film, I can't tell what. What the hell is happening? I'm glad you said that, Kel, because <laughs> this is the first Transformers movie not directed by Michael Bay. Woo-hoo! And you know what? It's amazing what difference a Bay makes because this looks that was too much. Yeah, I know. I just completely came with that. So um, this is Travis Knight who directed uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, the ah, head of Leica. Yeah, literally the head of Leica. It's like getting the Pixar guy to go and do a Marvel movie. It's insane, right? That so, could happen. Heavy emphasis here on let's go back to the cartoons. Mm-hmm. So the designs look like the cartoons now. They're dumbed down. None, no more of this. They have to have three million visible moving parts to be mm-hmm. believable. None of that. It is just, they're just the cartoon-looking ones now, and they behave like the cartoon stuff, and we're just doing a movie of that because it turns out that's fun. It is the first case in history I can remember of a studio just outright listening to the fans and giving them what they ask for. Oh, and it turns out... Against all odds, that actually worked. Well, who'd have thunk? Yeah, so the fight scenes make sense now. The fight scenes are coherent. You can actually root for one of them in a fight scene. Because you can tell which is which. You can tell which one he is, yes. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe what a novelty that is. Uh, Hayley Steinfeld can absolutely lead this. Oh, she's, got, she's brilliant, though. She's made that transition, I think, for me now, into an adult actress, rather than... Cause but she's, still playing children. Still playing children, yeah. But, like, she's clearly an actress. Like, isn't she about 22 now, I think? She so must be, at least. She's about 22, I think. So she's aged up to the point where she can now play a 17-year-old, so... Yeah, go for yeah. her. Yeah, I'm sure by the time she's 40, she might be able to play 28, going by the rules of Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Because that is how it works, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, yeah, John Cena 
absolutely the guy they needed for this as well. So what you've got is the stock government stooge leading the sort of SWAT team. You know, the, that always happens in yeah. these movies where, you know, all the windows come through and all the SWAT teams pour in. And <laughs> then the general powers through with his megaphone and, yeah, the Humvees behind him. John Cena, brilliant at that. Because he gets to give it actual charm. And there's a great script here from uh, Christina Hodgson. I was just looking at what it was that she did recently. There's something massive. Um, She signed up recently to Batgirl. That was what it was. Um, I wasn't overly sold on the idea of her writing this beforehand because she did write that god-awful Catherine Heigl thriller, Unforgettable. Remember that? Yeah, she did write that. I've forgotten all about it. Mm, yeah, but I think she has a story credit somewhere on uh, on uh, Wonder Woman, I think. But, oh, uh, so she has done a really good job here. She's gotten to the Spielberginess of it. Because mm-hmm. Spielberg's been a producer on all of these, don't forget. Is he? He has. Spielberg's name is on all of those Transformers movies. And yet this is the first one that's done that any justice. Um, it is a complete reboot. It's a successful reboot as well. Um, I actually genuinely got into this. I was excited by it. I was engaged by it. At the end of it, I actually wanted to see more of it, which has never happened Flip for me with egg. a Transformers movie. No. I actually had a great evening with this film. Oh. I sat there, I watched it, I ate my popcorn, and I loved it. It was great. Well, knock me over with a feather. I know. And can you believe this comes one week after Sony finally got a Spider-Man cinematic universe to work? What is happening? What is happening? I know. The world's gone topsy-turvy. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Miss Needham. Woo-hoo. So you, 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 okay, you didn't get that ident. That's fine. No, I've I tried heard to it. mouth it to you, but obviously nothing. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> should we see if we have more luck with the uh, the top five for this week? Yeah, go on then. Number five, Mortal Engines, which is fine. It's not sure. bad. I mean, you're not excited to go out and see it, are you? No, no chance. Exactly. But if you were there, you were like at the cinema, you got three hours to kill, you're like, oh, I wonder what the next film showing is. And it was Mortal Engines. Yeah, you wouldn't, go. You wouldn't necessarily not go, would you? Yeah, I'd exactly. give it a go, I guess. It's fine. It's it a, seems to me like know, a Sunday afternoon kind of film. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Although, you know, in my opinion, it should be animated with talking mice. That's that's how this would be way better because it does That'd have an eighties yeah animated eighties movie feel hmm. to be honest. So uh, has anybody tweeted us about Mortal Engines then? Indeed. So at Simon Bundro two says hashtag Mortal Engines movie is really good, not perfect, but a really cool and well done introduction to the superb world. Go see it. The other books get better, and we want the sequels made. That, Smiley face. Yes, fair. I can't really argue with the voice of the fans. Number four. Ralph breaks the internet. <laughs> Which, again, I mean, it's a disappointment. It's fine academically. It's just fine. But as a sequel to Wreck-It Ralph, it's not one-tenth of what that film was. I genuinely was bored by it. Were you bored? Yep, genuinely. Really? A lot of it, fe- especially after the Emoji movie, a lot yeah. of it feels quite perfunctory. Yes! And you know that there's got to be that Twitter joke there and there's got to be that emoji joke there and there's got to be that Facebook gag there and, oh, can we put in a bit about internet cats? Yes. And it is one of those movies. It does feel like a boardroom full of middle-aged executives have handed down notes of... It does, even down to the fact that, of course, he's going to call eBay eBoy. Uh, exactly 
it does feel like a movie that's been written by your parents yes. rather than yourself. Exactly, but the fact is that our generation are the parents now. I know. Yeah, and we grew up with the internet. I mean, admittedly, we were teenagers when it came in. Yeah, but we grew up with it. I know. Hey, hey, hey! The Grinch is coming up later, so don't even get me started. But uh, has anyone tweeted us about it? Yes. So at Alligator, well done, Ellie Jones. Uh, (laughs) Y'all, I saw hashtag Ralph breaks the internet and the Ralph emoji, and totally cried. Me too, but for different reasons. Number three. The Grinch. It was coming up quicker than I thought then, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't time that well at all. Yeah. What's number two then? I thought it was number two. Anyway, um, it, it, again, it's it's a film... I, I can't really be too offended by it because there's nothing innocuously bad about The Grinch. Mm-hmm. Um, my problem with The Grinch is why have you bothered to do The Grinch when the film you've delivered tries at every opportunity to undermine the nature of the Grinch. Like, make him nice. The Grinch isn't meant to be nice. That's why he's the Grinch. Yeah. You know, it's meant to... The story is meant to be that the worst person can be brought round. Not that the average person can be bad and then cheered up. Hmm. So, eh. Anyway, outside of that, it's exactly what you'd expect of a movie from the studio that made uh, Despicable Me... I almost said Illumination. Illumination! <laughs> uh, Despicable Me and are now doing Dr. Seuss. It's exactly what you expect of that. Yeah. I mean, if you saw The Lorax or Horton Hears a Who, yes. kind of along those lines. Like, neither of those are particularly bad films. They just uh, exist. They just, yeah, that's it. It exists. It exists. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, has whoever tweeted us determined whether or not it exists? Indeed. So, Am Kachiria says, I didn't think it was possible to love Benedict Cumberbatch anymore till I saw The Grinch. Hi, I emojis. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. The Grinch. <laughs> hashtag, Tuesday Thought. Number two. Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. I know, we don't have a button yet. because was there was really no, there was no obvious one. Sorry. Um, this is a film so good, I've had to go back to the drawing board with my top ten movies of the year. Ooh. Not even kidding, because I, I don't think there's anyone that could sit through this and not consider it, it one of the best really films of the year. It is really good. It's so fun, isn't it? I did not want to see this until you and I spoke about this film. Was it even last week? It was last was week. It? it was just last week. And so I went and saw it, and I absolutely loved it. So good, isn't it? It's did really you, good. How much did you love Jake Johnson as, as Oh, Steve too much, Parker? but I love him anyway. Yeah, but he just is that character, He's isn't brilliant. he? He fits it so perfectly. Yeah. I, I don't... I think there was only one character that I didn't care for, and that was the spider pig thing. Oh, Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. Uh, Peter Porker. You know when you're just like, this film would neither gain nor loss anything for your existence. So. No, that's fair. That, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can go with that, because it doesn't serve a huge narrative function, does no. it, particularly? But, uh, but I mean, it was uh, fine. Didn't ruin it by any stretch. No, I mean, actually, I, I could have stood to have seen like another minute or two of like Penny Parker and like what that thing could do. The the mech yeah. spider. Like, and I feel Spider-Man like Spider Man Noir, obviously. Oh, Spider Man Noir, love him. <laughs> uh, apparently, Nick Cage has to wrestle. I'm I'm open to doing a spin off. <laughs> so. Well, I'm sure he is. I'm not sure I can stand a whole film at that. Point. I don't. I don't think so. I feel like it's just save it for this. Like we never needed Lego Batman, but yeah. you know, it, it, just save it for the Lego Movie sequel because it makes it less special yeah yeah so but anyway so has anyone tweeted and did they love it the same way we did so at joey underscore mcgee says okay hashtag into the spider-verse was dope af lots of fire emojis highly recommend it as a must watch 
Fair. Number one. <laughs> it's Aquaman. You enjoyed that, did you? I did, very much. <laughs> so um, I promise you that ident is more fun than the actual process of watching Aquaman. Have you had the pleasure, the misfortune? You know, I was going to do it, but then I saw that it was nearly three hours long and thought, <laughs> I just can't do it. The screening would be. I think the film is uh, two hours 23. Yeah. And so once you tack on the adverts, trailers, etc., exactly. it would be a three-hour block. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot um, of commitment for a film you know you're not going to like. Oh, it's so bad. It really is. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> I just can't wrap my head around it. How on any planet did anyone think this was a good idea? Like, it's they couldn't make Superman work. Yeah, but it's DC. They still think these things are good that they're making. Yeah, yeah, Otherwise, they'd stop. Right, so um, it's rubbish... Jason Momoa's having fun, but he's not got an awful lot to do. Amber Heard's pretty much given just the love interest role, and that's about it. In fact, for uh, most of the movie, she's never actually given a first name to the point that Aquaman actually asks for it halfway into this. So, shoddy writing. Uh, Directorially, nothing too much to show off for James Wan. Mm. Uh, Stylistically, the whole thing just looks like a hogwashed Avatar knockoff. And, well, it's a movie so overwhelming with its forgettableness uh-huh. that I somehow managed to go entire days before I remembered that there is a drumming octopus in this movie. A drumming octopus? A drumming octopus. A huh? massive octopus with a drum under each tentacle who is drumming all these simultaneously. Huh. That happened, and it wasn't even in the top ten naffest things about Aquaman. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I take it whoever tweeted loved it. Yeah. <laughs> of course kinda. they did. So, at PJ in Toy says, Watch hashtag Aquaman today, and I'm still not over how epic the movie was. Blissed out for so many reasons. Definitely a movie fit for the King of the Seven Seas. No, Aquaman isn't even fit for Burger King. That's your king right there. Is that your king? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no one told me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is this your king? I can't even react to that right oh, now. Oh, man. I watched a bit of Black Panther the other day on Sky Cinema. It's so good. And it was that scene. It was Killmonger beating the hell out of uh, T'Challa. And it's so good. So good. I love that movie. Honestly, I've watched it about... Not even joking. I must have watched it four or five times. That doesn't surprise me. It's yeah. it's very rewatchable. It hasn't almost, in that way that I always said it was like a live-action Lion King, even down to the rocks yeah. that all the community gather on. Yeah. Um, Haven't has, they said that actually that was inspired by the Lion King? They've kind of come kind of out has and to said be, that yeah, now. kind of has to be. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I just kind of think that it has the rewatchability of something like the Lion King, like a classic animated film. Yeah, it's amazing. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, some film news before we do Papillon. Something quick. What we got? Um, so a very quick bit of news that has come out that the live action remake of Lady and the Tramp oh, yeah. will not be CGI dogs. What? It will be real dogs. What? Yeah, apparently. What the hell? Well, I mean, to be fair, they do need to use real dogs. What's the point if it's CGI? Hang on. Are you making the case that CGI and automation is taking good jobs away from (laughs) hard-working dogs? That's exactly what I'm saying, Val. (laughs) Fair enough. That's fair enough. I'm not not even going to attempt to get in the way of a a, a tried-and-tested workers' rights argument for canines. So I'm not sure if the dogs are... I presume the dogs will be talking and do that whole annoying thing where they actually animate a real dog's mouth, Mm. but... Oh, the, the show dogs approach. The show dogs. The show approach, dogs approach, without the the horrific sexual assault references. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, there you God. go. Quick bit of news. And it's going to star Tessa Thompson. So. Shall we talk Papillon? Papillon. Did you ever see Papillon? No. Right, it starred Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Was mm-hmm. it 71, 73, I think thereabouts? Mm-hmm. Uh, based on, uh, what's his name? On. Henri Charrier, I think his name was, Um, a writer who was locked up in, I think it was the Devil's Bay or Devil's Island Penal Colony, a French penal colony in South America. Mm -hmm. He was framed for a crime he didn't commit. Uh And we're inclined to believe him because in actuality he confessed to many, many other things, but not that. So, by all accounts... I would do (laughs) But he won't do that. He won't do that, Kel. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he is sent... He's Charlie Hunnam in this case. It's, it's the 1930s. He is sent to the uh, the French prison colony, and on his way, he meets Louis, played by Rami Malek, who's filling in for Dustin Hoffman here. Mm-hmm. Um, Rami Malek is, a, uh, by his claim, falsely accused uh, of forgery. He's a business tycoon, a very wealthy man. He's confident that his wife will have his appeal sorted before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, what forges between these two men is a bond initially of just a shared business interest. Papillon, uh, on uh, Cherier, sorry, Dave Owens calls him Papillon or Pappy, Charlie Hunnam. He uh, offers to protect... Uh, Rami Malek in the prison mm-hmm. in exchange for Rami Malek bankrolling his eventual escape plan. And we have a clip of him proposing this exact arrangement. I saved you a spot next to me. You've got a lot of eyes on you. I can keep you safe. All I need is enough money for escape. It won't be cheap, but you'll be safe. Send the scorpion to the frog. All scorpions in here, though. I think I'd be better off taking my chances sitting up in front of the guards. Wouldn't you agree? You seem like the kind of man who can make up his own mind. You're a good judge of character. Have a good night. So, obvious question I have to ask. What do you think of Charlie Hunnam as an actor? Oh, I don't like him. Okay, you're not going to like him in this then. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of your likability in this film hinges on how likable you personally find Charlie Hunnam and Rami Malek. I um, like Rami Malek, don't get me wrong. Oh, Rami Malek's great, but it does very quickly transpire that the whole thing he's been doing this entire time is basically playing the same kind of tortured Asperger's genius character. Yeah, but he does it so well. <laughs> he does, he does. Uh, Charlie Hunnam, on the other hand, does a Char- terrible anybody. Yeah, well, uh, what was it I called him? Was it the uh, uh, man of a thousand accents, master of none? <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't got a thousand accents. They're all exactly the same. <laughs> they are. Doesn't um, matter where is, he's from. This is one of those remakes, by the way, where everyone's just American until they need to be French. It's it's like that. It's a cheap and cheerful uh, remake made for no other reason than, you know, obviously maybe the rights were going cheap and you could could make a decently low-budget version that because of a couple of star names you could probably make a decent bit of bank out of. And, yeah, on on that basis, yes, it does the job. Mm. I'm sure it'll get, you know, all the Rami Malek fans in along with the back wave of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sure they'll flock to it. Um, They shouldn't, though, because it's not particularly any good. It's fine, but it's fine in that way that certain remakes like this tend to be. So, did you ever see that one for Flight of the Phoenix? No. Right, they remade that in about 2004, 2005, I think, and it starred Dennis Quaid, Tyrese, Hugh Laurie, uh, Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, wow. 
And it even had Giovanni Ribisi doing the same kind of oddball, quirky, Asperger's-y character that Rami Malek is doing here. Mm. And other remakes, just so cheap and cheerful ones, like The Manchurian Candidate or Assault on Precinct 13 Mm -hmm. or, you know, the ones like that. This is about as successful as all of those. So it's not a bad movie, it's just pointless and not particularly great. Excellent. I'll uh, skip that one then. It's one for Sky Cinema. Yeah, Mm. sure. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back for one last ride, Ms. Needham. So, of the year. Of the year, yes. How sad. <laughs> and we didn't even have a Fast and Furious movie this year. Did yeah, we? No. we didn't. It's been a long year. I've we mourned that for weeks now. Oh, do you know what's been been really not sitting right with me this Christmas is uh, it's been the first Christmas uh, in four years that we've not had a Star Wars movie. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I've, I've felt that loss, to be honest. Why did they choose to bring Solo out earlier? I don't know. I don't know why they brought it out earlier. I don't know why they sacked Lord and Miller. I don't know why they then hired Ron Howard. I don't know why they signed off on that script or that movie or... That edit, I, I know nothing about Solo. I've opened a can of worms here, haven't I? Like, it, Solo is never more than perfectly serviceable, hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Particularly, I've tried re-watching it twice. Any good? I've never made it back through. No. I always get bored and turn off. So much it never of it appealed is, to me, I'll be honest. So much of it's dimly lit as well. Mm. Like, really hard to make out and yeah, see. Yeah, I can't bear and, that. Yeah, unnecessarily bleak. Yeah. Like it's a PlayStation game aimed at really angry 15-year-olds. Maybe that's who likes it. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So um, let's talk about uh, our final review for radio, anyway, of the year. I've been looking forward to this one. I I figure this is going to be a huge hit in your house regardless. This is like critic-proof in your house. (laughs) So uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Yay! uh, Which is directed by Rob Marshall, who brought us into the woods a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. and has something of that musical theatre sort of pedigree in his work. Mm -hmm. Um, Did that fourth Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, as well. No, we'll we'll forgive him for that. We will have to forgive him. And, of course, this uh, brings Lin-Manuel Miranda to a movie properly. And he has turned up in minor roles here and there and like on TV and things like that. Um, he wrote the music, obviously, for Moana. Yes, uh, he did. Two, two years ago now. And he's still not, though, had his big movie break, his his breakout role, you know, his not vehicle. Not for him, no. Not for him. Weirdly enough, Mary Poppins Returns is that vehicle. Ooh. It is the Lin-Manuel Miranda vehicle. Wow. Despite the fact that it's called Mary Poppins Returns and the central character is Mary Poppins. Sorry, let me say that in the proper Lin-Manuel Miranda day. As I live and breathe, it's Mary Poppins. You've got to have an American doing a terrible British accent. This literally opens, right, with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's a a lamplighter. He's the guy Mm -hmm. that goes and lights and turns off all these street lamps, the oil burners. Like Dumbledore. Kind of like that, only he uses like a pole and turns a little gear. And it literally is him just going down the street, you know, singing along to the lovely old London sky, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's a great catchy song and it sets a precedent. Because what you then get is a catch-up with the Banks family. It's now uh, 
decades on from the, from the first movie, the Banks children are now the parents, as it's to speak. Mm-hmm. So Michael is now a widow himself. His wife's passed away in the previous year. Uh, he's left with three precocious children, rather like he and his sister Jane were in the first movie. Jane is now like a suffragette, effectively. She's all for workers' rights and big into protesting. Yep. She's played by Emily Mortimer. He's Ben Whishaw. And uh, they are threatened with the loss of the old family home uh, mm-hmm. due to a bank foreclosure because Michael, in order to make ends meet with his wife's illness and everything, had taken out a loan at uh, Fiduciary Financial, where he now worked <laughs> just like his dad did. Right, but it turns out that uh, he has a new boss as well who can't help him out. See, his new boss is the nephew of the old boss, and the nephew is played by an unscrupulous Colin Firth. <gasps> and so Mary Poppins must return in order to, uh, well, effectively save Mr. Banks, for lack of a better term, because it turns uh, out like that movie had that there. title for a reason. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to let Mary explain it herself for you. Is it, Georgie? Has something happened? I was blowing the coach and I got caught on a nanny. Whatever are you talking about? Come, come look. Wait, where did you get that kite? I found it in the park. She kept it from blowing away. Mary Poppins. Oh, close your mouth, please, Michael. We are still not a codfish. <laughs> Jane Banks. Still rather inclined to giggle, I see. Good heavens. It really is you. You seem hardly to have aged at all. Really? How incredibly rude. One never discusses a woman's age, Michael. Would have hoped I'd taught you better. I know, right? I know. (laughs) So, I'm not an overly big fan of Mary Poppins. I've seen it a few times and... I, I... I never gained much of an appreciation of Mary Poppins until I saw Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. And then I actually found the story of P.L. Travers more interesting than the story of Mary Poppins. But I did fall uh, head over heels in love with some of the old music of Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. particularly Go Fly a Kite for obvious reasons within that, that yeah. particular movie. But um, it never, it wasn't something that I hold in great esteem. I, 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 I can Mary imagine Poppins it appealing more to girls, to be fair. I think so. It just wasn't big in my house growing up. Uh, I sat and watched this, though, and, yeah, this is going to be huge. And it absolutely <laughs> deserves to be. Oh, it's brilliant. so good. Yay! It really is. I've come to the conclusion that every year now in cinema needs to begin and end with a big blowout musical. Yes. Like, uh, last year, was it last? There was one year where we started with La La Land and ended with Greatest Showman. And you're like, that's how you begin and end a year. Yes, agreed. And, yeah, this feels like a great film to end this year on it's oh, I'm very pleased. fun it's got so much heart lin-manuel miranda oh cool blimey governor he's great fun in it and he actually <laughs> a lot more naturalistic than the old dick van dyke uh, equivalent but we all love dick so it was crap well th- this is the thing though right i have a serious beef with this movie and its marketing department is it because it made it look like uh, Jane and Michael Banks were married in the trailer? Well, there's that issue, yeah. Uh, no, Honestly, it's specifically, I was like, what? They highlighted that Dick Van Dyke was in this. Yes. And they showed you a very specific clip 
of yeah. Dick Van Dyke in this, in the, in the trailer. Yep. They shouldn't have done that because it's executed as if it's meant to be a surprise. Oh. And, and then him dancing is meant to sort of be a double surprise and they've ruined both of them. Well, yeah, You're I like, knew he did really? that. Really? Uh, this is like naming your movie Lone Survivor when it's about four guys. Yeah. But, yeah, never mind. Spoiler. Anyway, Lin-Manuel Miranda's great, Colin Firth, Ben Whishaw, Emily Mortimer, uh, uh, Julie Walters. Uh, is she Julie Walters is in it as the, the housekeeper, I think. Oh, in fact, yes, I did see her in the trailer. Yeah, I did. And just great fun, bags of hearts and Emily sadness. Blunt. And, I'm, and then there's Emily Blum. Oh no. no, 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 not bad. Right. Okay. As you can tell from the clips, right? There is. A, She's doing her most best. She is, isn't English she? Um, <laughs> I mean, she is English, but she's she not is that English, posh. and she's very, very good in it. She's very good at it. She is doing an impersonation for the for at least the beginning of it. Mm. But you kind of feel like that's that's kind of hard not to do. You kind of have to do that to then in, intertwine your own elements and make it your own. The character yeah. is simply too iconic. Yes. That you have to start out with the icon before you make them a person. Yes. It's like playing Elvis. You've you've got to do a, oh, thank you very much, to begin with. Yes. To then give him your own personality. Mm-hmm. Emily Blunt does that and she does it very, very well. And that's before you get to the rather uncomfortable discussion of... It's like a mega hot 30-something Hollywood starlet playing Mary Poppins. I'm now weirdly attracted to Mary Poppins, and I feel bad about that. But I don't know. I reckon if you went back and watched the original, you'd probably be like, oh, actually. But she's before my time, so like, I never knew her as a star. And this is the thing. didn't grow up with her as a sex symbol. Mm. But, but now know. if you went back and watched it, you'd probably be like, actually, she's pretty hot. It's because we know Emily Blunt, though. Yeah. Like, we know Emily Blunt for being the actress Emily Blunt, whereas, mm. like... You you kind of you kind of who was it played the original Julie movie? Andrews Julie Andrews sorry I always get my Julies mixed up because we just said Julie Walters so it's I, not I that the, Julie yeah the other Julie. Julie Julie Andrews I kind of know from Mary Poppins hmm. and like sound sound of music yes I know her from those rather than she's an actress who then stars in those yeah yeah so it's, I it's get kind it. of a you know what I mean it's kind yeah. of an iconic actor iconic role thing. But yeah. yeah, but yeah. So <laughs> that's enough about my uh, awkward problem with Mary Poppins. But she's yeah, terrific. Sorry in about it. that. <laughs> she's got the chop. She can do the song and the dance and the over the top, you know, theatrics of it. Mm-hmm. There's some songs in this that you are gonna love. No, oh, like, I can't wait. How much did you love Adam and the Apocalypse recently? Oh, the it songs was brilliant. Right. Obviously, next level songwriting here compared yeah, to that, but Go just on. the same kind of just churlish fun. Very much like Greatest Showman, where it was all about building your excitement with that music and getting you to fall in love with it. Yeah. This does it. This really does it. I Yay. don't like Mary Poppins particularly, it's fine and everything, but I loved this. And that's oh, me, the so skeptic. Excited. I'm the skeptic side. I know, this. you're yeah. the one with no heart. <laughs> but I did love it. I absolutely loved Mary Poppins Returns. Um, I think the implication is that this could now be a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, not, it's not stated outright or anything. I think um, it was a series of books, wasn't it? There is a series of books, but I think the implication here is that we can now bring her back. There's certainly uh, a noticeable attempt to lionise 
certain elements of the iconography of mm-hmm. Mary Poppins into the Disney canon. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, if you've got a Disney Infinity character, you're part of the Disney family now. Uh-huh. One of those levels of sort of, to say, vertical integration? Yeah. I think it's one of those. There's a lot of vertical integration being laid out before your eyes. Uh, they actually established, for instance, very early on, that Lin-Manuel Miranda is a, is a legacy character, that he has existed within the world of Mary Poppins, hence he knows about her. So uh, think hence that, oh, so I live and breathe. Like, well, to be fair, I did question that, because when I saw the trailer, I thought... Is he meant to be Bert? And Bert <laughs> yeah. just has an age. Yeah, exactly. You think that? No, 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 not at all. In fact, I don't think they even mentioned Bert, actually. But, eh, I'm sure. She's obviously just got all her men that she likes to come and have a jolly with when she comes down to Earth. <laughs> Mary Poppins wherever. just hanging out in pubs and everything in the meanwhile. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you were wondering if this was ever going to get to the stage of you will hear Mary Poppins doing a broad Cockney accent, that's happening. Oh. Yeah, that is happening. She will go toe-to-toe with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Excellent. Um, and hold her own, impressively. I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I thought everything about the film worked. Oh, good. Uh, like I say, that's, that's me, the sceptic. It's uh, film of the week. Giving it that. Shocking, so, that. <laughs> it's definitely film of the week for me. I'm glad um, it beats Bumblebee, I'll be honest. I Bumblebee, know Bumblebee's though. fine. So that's the thing. That's but... film of the week. Uh, Mary Poppins, Bumblebee though. I think you you definitely should see. it. I'd be very curious to see oh, if it I'll has the same it. effect on you. I'll see it <laughs> as a real palate cleanser after the god awful last five Transformers movie. Mm. I mean, I didn't see most of them to be fair. Well, didn't bother. If the Transformers franchise proved anything, it's that if at first you don't succeed, try, 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 and try again. And it turns out on the sixth go, you might make it. <laughs> so, yeah. so what about next week then? So next, well, we're not going to do next week. It's going to be Christmas. Oh, no. I expect you'll be in your snuggies with your, uh, your, 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 what do you call it, nibbles and... Nibble? What do you call that? Food? Food? <laughs> I look, I pretty much exist on biscuits and Jack Daniels over Christmas. I don't really... Yeah. Not, what do you mean over Christmas? Christmas? <laughs> That's a very, very good point. All right, but fine. What's coming next year then? Next year, January 11th, we'll return. And we'll return with Colette, oh. uh, Kira Knightley and Dominic West, I think. Yep. Uh, we'll return with Stan and Ollie. Oh. That's, that's them as well. Uh, Hugh Jackman in The Front Runner. All right. Uh, the Gary Hart political biopic. And, and this is one I've really been looking forward to, Kevin Hart and, uh, oh my, Brian Cranston. I almost forgot Brian Cranston's name. Jeez. In The Upside. Ah, the, the uh, remake of The Intouchables? Intouchables or Something? Intouchable. It has like six titles. Something like that. But yeah, so that's uh, that's first week back too. Excellent. So yeah, so we got all those to come and more next year on screen. <laughs> Look out for the top ten of the year show in the meanwhile. We'll think we'll try and aim that for like New Year's Eve. Uh, get that out for then. Cool. And uh, in the meanwhile, for one last time in 2018, this has been the Candy Store production of a movie marker. I've been Ben Connor. I've been Merry Christmas. <laughs> and we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> Podcast extras. Ah, fun, fun, fun. There's loads of news this week as well. Uh-huh. And, and we still got reviews to do. So <clears throat> what should we do? Should we do a piece of film news and then a review? Yeah, I think let's that's, do that's, it. that's a good way to do it. What do you want us to talk about? Anything specific? Um, so <laughs> one that made me laugh a little bit, I guess, okay. is that Benicio Del Toro has been cast in the upcoming Dora the Explorer movie. He has, and it's so good at, at casting. <laughs> He's going to be Swiper. 
I don't know who that is. Oh, you have young children in your family. Have you never seen Dora the Explorer? Never. Right, so the idea is <laughs> Swiper will uh, appear and uh, try and thwart whatever Dora's trying to do that week. And the way that you get rid of him is to chant, Swiper, no swiping, at oh. the TV. And then he goes away. Well, that's pretty quick fix. Yep. And Benicio Del Toro could make that really creepy. I love it. I, I just can't wait to see it. I hope they do him in, like, full wolfman mode. You know, is it meant I, to be a wolf? Well, he's, he's a fox. Oh, if I think If Swiper is a fox, I think he's meant to be uh, full wolfman mode, I think. That, that's got to be where they go with it, surely. Well, you've got to do something with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Benicio's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, speaking of cool, can I talk about the Empress of Cool? Yes. The Notorious RBG. Oh, yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Who is this? Do you not know Ruth Bader Ginsburg? No. Genuinely. She's on the US like, Supreme obviously Court. obviously heard. She was oh. the second woman to join the United States Supreme Court. All right. Uh, she's got a biopic coming out soon, uh, starring Army Hammer and Felicity Ooh. Jones. Uh, Felicity Jones will play uh, RBG. Army Hammer's the husband. Love about uh, Army Hammer. The movie is called On the Basis of Sex. Oh. And that's meant to be, uh, I think it's coming up for Oscar season. I think it's like February kind of time. Um, but this is the documentary, and yeah, big fan of this. Mm. <laughs> right, so, story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, how she came up, went through law school. She met her, uh, her husband whilst they were at university. Um, he's the outgoing party type. She's the uh, relatively well-spoken, reserved quite uh, kind. But they're a magical partnership. Mm-hmm. And that partnership... Um, allowed her to have it all, effectively. She got to be the mum. She got to, you know, got to pursue her career, and not only pursue her career, but then go on to actually change America. So she brings forward a number of bills that advance uh, equal rights for women, that improve women's standing within American society. And I'll tell you what, we've got a clip in which they explain a few of these things for you. What we wanted was a review of cases that the court would say sex discrimination doesn't work. And it would be a broad command, basically, to legislatures to get rid of statutes that discriminate on the basis of of gender. But she also added, to make the point much more poignant, the history of women and the way we were treated throughout America and its beginnings. It's a powerful doc. Yeah. It really is. Uh, Here's the thing, though. She's got, because of her cultural standing at this moment in time, like outside of her her job, she has a point in culture now where there is, you know, because of the rise of feminist movements in the last three or four years, for Mm -hmm. instance, like notably internet-powered advancements, that then obviously trickled into the real world, and the Me Too movement and things like that, and genuine questions now starting to be finally asked about how women are regarded by effectively a male-dominated society, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that we claim it to be equal for all. Um, Obviously, we know that's not the case, but because of this having been the case and now being questioned, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has become a sort of... She's become a T-shirt. She's become a bumper sticker. She is the notorious RBG. She's a figure of Saturday Night Live. She's, you know, a a popular talking head. She's someone that society now wants to actually shine a light on and say, look... This is where we should be taking inspiration from. Now, you've got all that going on, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the woman herself, who loves this. And she's having a great old time with it. She's she's in her 80s now, and watching her watch the Saturday Night Live sketches, for instance, in which Kate McKinnon plays, like, you know, the badass RBG, is really touching. And actually her reflecting on 
what she means to other people and what she actually thinks she should mean, which is a lot less, is really moving stuff. Aww. And the perspective with which she takes us back through her, for- her former days. We get a lot of her former colleagues, for instance, people that came up with her, uh, looking back on the things they went through. And even they're shocked by the impact they've made. But they look back and say, look, we, we thought this was going to take like six attempts. We got it on the first one. Mm. Like nobody thought that was going to happen. We didn't know what to do. And it was really, really solidly done. Um, there's a visual gimmick that they utilize where they use uh, interviews, uh, mm-hmm. like pre you know, old archival interviews with RBG herself. Yeah. And they've taken bits of the transcript and retrofitted them into 3D and lined them along the uh, Supreme Court bench, for instance. And it's an effect that really works. It narrates the story for you. Uh-huh. Really, really intriguing. Oh. I, I thought this was great. I didn't expect an awful lot. I thought this was going to be a bare bones to A to B to C biographical documentary. You know, yeah. we, we get one of these for everyone sooner or later. And this is mis- presumably has just been wheeled out to beat the narrative film to the theatres. Um, no, this actually really does have something going for it. It's got, uh, it's got a visual palette all of its own. It's got a compelling central figure. It unfolds pretty solidly. It gives you a genuinely gripping narrative as it does. Yeah, check this one out. It's a lot of wow. fun. Yeah. High praise. <laughs> Never would have thought it. <laughs> they couldn't make a movie about Vivian Westwood work for me, but they did for uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. John still complains about having to watch that film. Oh, God. <laughs> we had to review it, didn't we? So it was. Yeah. We reviewed it. I sent you the link. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he hated that. He did. He, <laughs> he really, really hated did. it. I think, but he might well enjoy this one from the sounds of it. I think uh, I didn't see him for about two months after that, and it still yeah, annoyed him why. enough that it was the first <laughs> thing he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Still hasn't forgiven you, clearly. Yeah, no, that, that, that festered for a while, that one. So, um, you remember last week we talked about the Sonic the Hedgehog reveal? Uh, have you seen uh, the, the direction Sega have taken it since? No. <laughs> Sega have now put out this image, which is a big post it note saying Carnegie workout and then muscular Sonic legs and red, red I was trainers. I going to say, Sonic be doing leg day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, That's horrifying. Maybe don't poke the bear on this one, guys. Nobody likes it. Stop poking. Still had nightmares about when you revealed his face to me last week. Oh, God. It sounds like he wants to cause you harm, doesn't he? It's probably one of the most terrifying things I've seen. (laughs) I've Um, seen a lot. So what have you got to talk about? Anything? Um, shall we talk about the upcoming uh, Morbius film for Marvel? Oh, God, yes. You remember, that's a thing. That's a thing, apparently, yeah. Jared Leto's playing Morbius because... Isn't the dude who made why. Life directing this? Uh, Daniel Espinosa's directing yes. it, I think. Yes, he is. You're Which right. is really weird because Life had that whole thing for a while, didn't it, where it was going to be like the stealth setup for yeah. Venom? Yeah, so, oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of well, there you smart. go. So he's, he's got his foot in the door here, but they've actually cast uh, the female lead, or they're in talks to cast. Yeah, who was this? She wasn't a known name. Um, so it's Adria Arjona. So apparently she was in Pacific Rim Uprising. Again, yes. I've blocked that out of my memory. Mm-hmm. She's the uh, barely acknowledged love interest uh, as part of the love triangle between uh, Clint Eastwood's son, Scott Eastwood, uh, John, uh, John Boyega, and the female pilot in Pacific Rim Uprising. Sure. Yes, Don't there remember. we are. Anyway, yeah, so she's in talks to play Martine, who in the comics was engaged to Morbius, and he sort of struggles with, should I eat her or not? Yeah, if you remember the 90s Spider-Man series, it was a big part of that for like 10 episodes. 
It was it tied into the man spider storyline. That's how I remember it. Neogenic nightmare. That was it. Neogenic nightmare. Is there like a five or something, five episode long or something like that storyline in the animated Spider-Man series from the nineteen nineties, where Spider-Man, it turns out, is not the end of the mutation, rather the middle. Oh. And yeah, you can hazard a guess as to what the end of the mutation would be. And also, really good idea for a movie. Just saying, if you had a horror director like Sam Raimi. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> just just putting that out there. Well, anyway, but, uh, Morbius has come in as part of the non... What's it called? The non-Spider-Man <laughs> I don't universe. Whatever Venom was part of. But, on the subject of Venom, uh-huh. right, the, the creator of Venom, Todd McFarlane, who went on to create Spawn as well, uh-huh. uh, not a man who's widely beloved, let's just say. He has, uh-huh. uh, over the years, garnered something of a reputation for being pretty much in it for the merchandise. Um, <laughs> he has given his uh, his thoughts on, uh, on the reception that Venom achieved. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not been kind to, let's just say, people who do my job. What's he said? <laughs> the critics get it wrong in that they forget their age. They come in and they're 42 years old. And they come in with their attitude and they're going, stop it. What if you were 16, 15, and you were watching this movie? You would love it. Of course you would love it. This thing delivered everything it was supposed to. It was gnarly. It was nasty. It has a big, cool venom, which is what I was looking for. If your basic requirement, Todd, of a movie called Venom is that it stars a character called Venom... You might want to adjust your critical barometer, pal. I mean, really. <laughs> At least also, you're not 10 years off your age. Can I also say as well, if they, he thinks the average film critic is 42 years old, he doesn't know film critic, because another goddamn not. The mm-hmm. average critic is in their mid-50s. Exactly. I'm considered quite young. And you're no. 53. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Venom but. was terrible, especially when he said, on my planet, I'm kind of a loser. Yes. That was it. Yeah. That was the moment for me where I was like, done. No, no. For me, it was at the end of the movie when Michelle uh, Williams turns around and says, I'm sorry about Venom. You're like, yeah, you should be, love. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> Anyway, yeah, aging critics. Cheers for that, Todd. Yeah, keep your penis yourself. Did you know, you know this whole thing with Die Hard? Is it uh, a Christmas film, is it not? You know, that uh-huh. ridiculous thing. Um, they've taken this a step further. Fox have reissued Die Hard uh, in a Christmas box, specifically to answer this question. It is a Christmas movie. They've also put out a trailer specifically marketing it as a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. It is. I agree, but... You know. It's a Christmas... Like, what are the criteria for it being a Christmas movie? I don't know it's anymore. It's a Christmas. What do you want? <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I watch it every Christmas morning, usually by accident. Anyway, <laughs> uh, sticking with Die Hard and Bruce Willis, though, one final bit. Bruce Willis has signed a three-picture deal with... Uh, <laughs> this makes me laugh. Movie Pass Films. No! Oh, you no, know, Movie Pass. Yeah, you know Movie Pass. Oh. Yeah, this failing company that's like just desperately trying I to hold on to I still haven't watched the John Travolta. Oh, oh Gotti. No, oh, it's Gotti. so bad. I haven't watched it. It's so bad. I can't do it. Can't do oh, it. Movie myself. literally just opens with like uh, John Travolta as John Gotti like, leaning over, like staring into the bay. And then he just turns around to the camera as if to say, oh, I didn't see you there. Oh, and then no. just starts monologuing into camera and breaking the fourth wall. And you're like, this is awful. Your accent is awful. You're clearly phoning this in. What the hell are you doing? What and happened where did to you, you man? find that hair dye? <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, so yeah, he's going to do a three uh, three picture deal with uh, Movie Pass because about they've... anything in particular. Uh, or... I don't know. The first one's going to be called Trauma Center. Oh no! <laughs> it's going to shoot in Miami this February. Uh, apparently, he's got a movie called Ten Minutes Gone that's in post production as well, <sighs> which uh, probably describes Bruce Willis's career at this stage. To be honest, oh, it's definitely. such a shame. Should we do another review? Yep. What we got? An impossible love. An impossible love. Right. When I can open the IMDb page, this is going to be an awful lot easier but yes an impossible love which stars neil schneider and oh my god i've forgotten her name this is terrible hang neil on neil schneider neil's schneider neil's neil schneider and virginia Efira. that's oh. it both of whom are great in this that's why i remembered the names to be honest um their names i remembered because their performance are actually, performances are great it's the latest film by Catherine corsini it is about um a couple who get together in their in the 20s she falls pregnant he is from uh, he uh, works away he you know leaves her for long periods of time uh, he then announces that he has uh, conceived a child with and married a woman from an affluent family with like political influence and and presence in the local community mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's better for him that he stays with them, uh, but he will continue to support them. So this woman raises their daughter away from their father, and it's about how this family goes on to function. It's about the lives that they form in spite of this fractured familial structure. And uh, well, to be effective, it's, it's like it's basically about being the other family, as it were, about yeah. being you know the bit on the side. Yeah. Only you were there first. And uh, and also the hopes and dreams of the daughter herself as she then grows up and starts to get to know her father and starts mm-hmm. to understand just how she factors into his life and what she means to him. Um, so French language film, not uh, not one we can play a clip from, but uh, the performances are genuinely great. They are they absolutely transcend the language barrier. Um, Corsini's direction, I thought, was really spot on as well. I thought it had, I don't know, I want to say. I, I think the word I'm looking for is whatever the less knobby version of magnificence is. It <laughs> has a magnificence to it, but the less wanky version of that word. <laughs> the less whatever the version. not wanky version of magnificence is, that's what this film has. <laughs> Look at the moon tonight is positively transcendent. <laughs> what was that movie? It was um, Kobe Smulders. Kobe Smulders oh. in... It was one of the Nicholas Sparks ones, wasn't it? Yes, what was oh, it? Oh, my God. wasn't Safe Haven, was it? Was it Safe Haven? Mm, could have been. She was the dead wife, and she said to the new girl, the new Ju- Julianne Hoff, look at the moon tonight, it's positively transcendent. I think it is. I think it is. Oh, man, that's <laughs> terrible. Uh, yeah, this is not like that. This is actually good. Um, yeah, I was gripped to this. It's a little bit overlong. I was gripped by two hours, I think, 12, something like that. Oof, that is long. It is a bit of a long one. Two hours, two hours 15, totally lie. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Didn't quite, work, didn't quite work for me with the runtime. Having mm-hmm. said that, the movie does go the full spread. I mean, this sees this couple into their old age, into their elderly years. It's a full familial godfather-like structure to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, uh, Virginia Fira, who I think gets more to do in the in the older years than uh, Neil Schneider does... Uh, Absolutely brilliant performance. I thought she was terrific. I want to see her in more things. I I want to actually look her up and actually see what other things she starred in because I'm thinking, wow, you've got presence mm-hmm. and yet I don't know you. You must have a wealth of material sat out there that I'm just waiting to find. But, uh, yeah, so I'll be looking into that over Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so An Impossible Love or Un Amour Impossible. 
accent. Your French accent never fails to astound me. Ah, I have nothing to add to that. Say, magnifique. <laughs> magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible. I, I barely speak English. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. So, uh, let's see, more news, and then we'll do the last review of the week. So let's just see what's going on in the world of film that we can talk about. We're getting um, the Rosa Parks biopic. Yeah, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that there's an entire generation of children who now know who she is. Yeah, what about this? Thank you, Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who the actress was who played her in Doctor Who, by the way. She was fantastic. I don't know. No she idea. was great. Uh, there's a poster out, by the way, for the new Hellboy movie. Oh, which is very, very cool. Recommend, Generally, we had uh, no idea that there was a new Hellboy I movie. recommend you check it out. It's going to be great. David Harbour from Stranger Things ah. is Hellboy. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, I did know, because it's not Ron Perlman. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's the one that's not Ron Perlman. Exactly. Sure. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Apple have made a deal to buy the rights to... Not buy the rights, or well, lease them, effectively, for the Peanuts franchise. Uh, yeah, because, you know, that Peanuts movie did so well last year. Remember nobody that? Nobody cares. Nobody cared then, but uh, Apple are going to try and revive it. So, eh, I guess we'll see about that one. Just focus on Roald Dahl. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's Netflix. Oh, Netflix, yeah. Netflix have got Roald Dahl, and Apple are doing uh, Peanuts, so, eh, we'll see. Whatever. Okay, so uh, let's see what else we've got. Let's talk about uh, uh, Life Itself. It'll be our last, our last review together this year. Aww. Right, Life Itself, which comes to us written and directed by Dan Fogelman, who is the creator. Why do I know that name? Do you watch This Is Us? Yes. Yeah, he, he, he created that. Ah. That's his show. And now he, uh, he's got a movie vehicle to sort of <laughs> work the same kind of magic in. Mm-hmm. And rather in keeping with uh, This Is Us as well, it is a family story, mm-hmm. an ensemble drama that takes place across different time periods, different continents. Sounds familiar. It's not in linear order. It's, it's taken out of sequence. Sounds familiar. Uh, it is about tenuous connections between remote people and how those tenuous connections seek to draw them together, uh-huh. as it were. Right, it is the story, initially at least, it is the story of a New York couple played by Oscar Isaac and Olivia Love. Wilde. Love more. Right. They are a happily married couple. She is pregnant. However, at some point, in some way that is ill-defined to begin with, she leaves him. Huh. And his world falls apart. Mm-hmm. And he then seeks to find solace in therapy and rebuild his life. That is one part of this film. And that is the central storyline from which we are spun this elaborate web of other people's lives and other people's stories. You have Olivia Cook as a young punk rocker. You have Antonio Banderas as a wealthy Spanish landowner. Ooh. You have... Uh, I'm trying to think what his name was. Oh, man, I had this down earlier. Sergio Pe- Sergio Perez Menchetta, right, as a, uh, a young man trying to start his life with his family in Spain, who, you know, has a connection to Banderas. We have a young boy named Rodrigo who witnesses a horrific event in New York. We have all these incidents. Can't tell you how they come together, though, because that'll ruin it for you. So I'll tell you what, I'll just give you this clip of uh, Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde having dinner whilst expecting a child, having dinner with his parents. What'd you do to get the foot unstuck from the You bed? just pushed. I'm not a big fan of, like, when the face goes like this. Dog dishes. Against the outside of the belly, and you're just like an alien. It's a face. It's like an alien You face. actually see the face? I'm pretty sure it's a face. No, I don't, that's creepy. Is it possible that it's clawing This out? is, mom. 
You're aware that the baby's not going to actually live with you guys, right? I got a little carried away. This one's very so cute. Maybe. Hey. That cute? Yes. You better eat some of this before she gets it all. Okay. Baby clothes, baby jumpers. Tell me something. What the hell's a baby jumper for anyway? <laughs> so I'd uh, been prepared for the worst with this, to be honest. Oh, can I just ask? Go on. Was that Mandy Patinkin? That was, in fact, Mandy Patinkin. I knew I recognised that voice. God bless Mandy <laughs> Patinkin. I loves me some Mandy Patinkin. Me too. I've loved Mandy Patinkin since Chicago Hope in the early 90s. It's all about criminal minds. Yeah, yeah. well, he didn't stick around long enough, did he? True. uh, Did he kill himself in that series? Is that not the thing? Like, he leaves and then years later they just come up with this whole thing that he killed himself. Yeah, something like that. that. But anyway, Anyway. so he's he's not the star of this, though. But then again, no one really is. It's very much an ensemble piece. And you look at the cast for this, and it includes, for instance, Mandy Patinkin, Annette Bening, Gene Smart. Um, It's... Oh, oh uh, Samuel Jackson at the very, very beginning as well. Lorenzo Izzo. Um, there is wow. a good cast in there, and they are doing the best they can with what they have to work with. However, mm. it's very, very obvious that Dan Fogelman is very rooted in the mentality of running a 22-episode network TV show because this feels very, very overwrought. Mm. There's a lot shoved in here. And it doesn't quite flow uh, flow as well as he presumably thinks it does. Mm. It's a very overstuffed film. A lot of it feels shortchanged. There are too many narrative threads that linger over other attempts to set up others. It doesn't quite come together. And it's big grand reveal. It's big. This was the point. Moment is not effective enough to justify the time spent within it. I mean, that is a lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. It's divided into chapters that are named after their central figure at any given time. Right. Uh, The film is an hour and 57 minutes long. It would feel like most of those characters get about 20 to 25 minutes. Yet each cast has kind of the setup for a good solid half an indie movie in and of themselves. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work for me. It's capably directed... But it did need editing out at the scripting stage, mm. definitely. There's just, there's too much to this. Having said that, Fogelman does have a pretty good uh, sense of visual humour. He does use a lot of sort of fun narrative trickery, mm-hmm. you know, visually before your eyes and plays with the idea in particular of the, of the unreliable narrator and the idea of using continuity to just play with your expectations and, mm-hmm. and even bring, you know, garner a laugh when he can. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac, you know, great in it. Everyone is, to be honest with what they have to work with though it's just that they're not given that much in the way of discipline so yeah i guess it's a meh it's it's a meh it is a meh but uh you know this is actually one of those this is getting limited theatrical and it's on sky cinema so ah that's why i've seen the advert so you'll be able to watch it on day of release you know in your living room so when's it out uh, it is, I believe, 4th of January, that's it. Okay. So, oh, oh we yeah. should clarify the release dates for this week, yeah, by the way. You should. Right, they are all over the show, okay? So, uh, let's have a look. So, The Favourite, I think, is out on New Year's Day. Bumblebee is out on Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Boxing? Yeah, on Boxing Day, but, of course, previewing from, I think... Oh, no, it's out officially, sorry, on Christmas Eve, not Boxing Day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mary Poppins Returns is out on the 21st. Uh, RBG and An Impossible Love and Life Itself, I think, are all the 4th of January. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's a bit all over the place. Little bit. They kind of messed up the Christmas release schedule this year. That's how we get it at this time of year. Yes, quite. But, uh, okay, one last piece of film news then. Um, did you know we're getting a film adaptation of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I was aware of this. Have you heard who might direct it? No. 
DJ Caruso, who directed uh, Disturbia, oh. may be up to direct this. Don't get me wrong, he also directed Triple X3, The Return of Xander Cage, but we can't hold that against him. <laughs> he did direct yeah. Eagle Eye, though. I quite like Eagle Eye. That one with uh, Shia, Shia I was going to say, isn't that two Shia LaBeouf films? Two Shia LaBeouf, yep, yep, indeed. Does that mean Shia LaBeouf is going to be in it? I hope not. I really hope I really not. Hope he not. he seems to have gone away, and I'm I'm okay with <laughs> I'm that. Kind of happy with him gone. To be honest. <laughs> Alex Zane's breathing a sigh of relief because people actually remember who he is as himself for a change, and like <laughs> no one's stopping him on the street and asking about Indiana Jones. So uh, oh, it's also that's being written by Gary Dauberman, who wrote it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. He did also write Annabelle, so he is capable of crap as well. Do we think this is going to be a sort of Goosebump style film? I wonder. Because it was actually, always a bit older than Goosebumps, wasn't it? It was a bit. It aimed a bit older. Yeah. I actually watched, for the first time on home release this last week, Goosebumps 2. Any good? Um, no, I've seen it when we no, reviewed it, No, I know that, but, but um, I mean, there's a second watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more disposable on the second watch. You mm-hmm. do. It doesn't hold up quite as well as the first one did, but then again, the second movie wasn't as good as the first one anyway. Decent cinematic universe launches started, though. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. I'll go with that. All right, with it. Worth checking out. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. 90s-style, cheap and cheerful, PG-rated, you know, Halloween family horror film. It's my film. kind of gem. Exactly. You'd love it. <laughs> it's got a talking dummy in it, killing people. What's not to love? What more do you want? <laughs> right, so, on which note, for one last time this year, here it is, your moment of cage. Hey, fellas. Is, is he in black and white? Where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind, it smells like rain. 